and gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Hey listeners, this is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by The Dispatch and Dispatch Media. So I'm traveling next week, and we're putting a bunch of shows in a can, and um, problem is, with all the news breaking and all that kind of stuff, we really had to um, scrape the bottom of the barrel, and um, call in people who just, you just know they're not going to say no if they get an invitation to come on The Remnant. Um, and uh, so I, I apologize, we couldn't find a better guest, but... Um, it is what it is. So today we have the um, CEO of The Dispatch and co-founder, uh, Steve Hayes. Steve, welcome to The Dispatch. You know, I think you've given that same introduction each of the past four years. It's entirely possible. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it never stops it's being funny or true. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I would say it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I should actually get in... in also in seriousness, I was about to say, but in seriousness, <laughs> but uh, uh, also in seriousness, uh, we've been doing this. It wasn't ever completely like a plan. It just, we sort of, it sort of became a tradition to do an annual uh, state of the dispatch podcast. So for those of you who are looking for deep moving punditry, uh, this is not probably going to be the podcast for you, though. We'll get into some They wouldn't be stuff. listening to the remnant if they were. <laughs> Fair, fair shot, fair <laughs> shot. Um, and um, but we'll probably get into some stuff about the media and whatnot. Um, we were going to actually do this last week, but uh, which was the four-year anniversary of uh, the Remnant. I mean, I'm sorry, but which is the four-year anniversary of the Dispatch. Uh, the Remnant is, in fact, older than the Dispatch. <laughs> but um, the attacks in Israel and all that pushed everything aside and just didn't seem right to be talking about ourselves. Still feels a little creepy. But um, it is what it is. And uh, so, Steve, how's the dispatch doing? Dispatch is doing great. All right. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I need you to say, no, you want this as a podcast or we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, you want this as a podcast. Let's go. No, I, I, I mean, things are good. We, we can keep this part probably a little bit shorter because people who have been listening to us or listening to you know um, when we launched this thing Four years ago, we had high hopes and modest expectations. We've been pleasantly surprised for four years yeah. uh, at the growth. Um, we are we're still growing in a media environment that I think is tough right now. Yeah, um, and we're we're thrilled to be able to to say that we are. I think the the way that we've talked about it internally is that we are approaching forty thousand paying members, um, approaching three hundred fifty thousand free listers as we call them um and when we're being polite being polite no i mean we we love the word them freeloader comes up from time to time but we then chastise the younger more hot-headed staffers for using such loaded that's terms right. that's about right loyal fans of the dispatch right exactly we we are uh, eager to have our free listers basically the distinction is if you sign up and give us your email you can get sort of uh, a sampling of yep what it is we offer. You don't get anywhere near the full. You get the Friday G file. You get a truncated version of morning dispatch. Right. Very short. And then what else do they get? Occasional. Um, they, they can get dispatch politics mm -hmm. for now. Um, and just a selection of, of other, other newsletters. But we would remind any of those freelancers who are listening now, that it's a much better deal to be a paying member. Agreed. Um, and this will not be an advertisement for 
the dispatch, but we'll get that plug in early. Um, and uh, I think it's worth just sort of pointing out when you say challenging environment. Uh, we wanted our growth to be bigger than it is now, but that's because that's our job to want it to be bigger. Sure. Right. And, um, but if you, if you looked over the last, what, year, 18 months at, um, and again, this is not an apples to apples comparison, um, because the business models for a lot of other places are different than ours. But if you look at like the, the plummeting traffic of a lot of places, um, and the real sort of scramble to figure out ways to actually compensate for the loss of revenue because of their ad models and all that kind of stuff. Um, we've, we've had no attrition really to speak of. No. Um, but we plateaued for a little while and now we're back on a, yep. on an upswing. And so it is, there are a lot of headwinds out there, but uh, we got an incredibly loyal um, readership and, um, and the positive word of mouth, I think sustained us when a lot of other people were just canceling their subscriptions to things, you know, there was email box fatigue with a lot of yeah. people and all that. So it's, you know, we would like to report, you know, our, our, our North star goal still is to get to a hundred thousand paid subscribers. Right. And, um, doesn't mean we're going to rest on our loyal laurels then, but, um, you know, we've, there been a lot of headwinds and we're still thriving. So. Yeah. I mean, look, one, of, I think the original reason we, we did the first one of these was actually to expand on this thing that we call the manifesto that yeah. you largely wrote that sort of explains what it is we're doing. And we posted that on the, on the day we launched and then that we, we talked about it and that was the original reason of doing this. Then, you know, we, we also, you know, part of, I would say our efforts to build trust among readers in an era when there's not a lot of trust in in media companies is to be as transparent as possible. So we've done that and we share this information to let people know really how we're doing. You know, there are certain things probably we wouldn't disclose or wouldn't share, but like we want to be more transparent um, whenever it's possible. The, we had a really robust first couple of years, Mm -hmm. crazy growth way beyond what we expected. Um, We, Moved off of Substack a year ago this month um, and moved to our own tech stack. And that was a, you know, was a, a challenging process. Anytime you migrate websites, I think is a challenging process. Um, but there was a lot more involved there because Substack had made things so easy. So right. we've had to, we had sort of had uh, folks on our team, Justin Fritz, our COO, work overtime to make sure that we could transition and get to that point where things would work again around that time we had, we sort of flattened. Um, but we've been growing now, uh, pretty well for the last three, four months. Um, not quite at the same way up into the right trajectory as when we launched, but, but pretty steady and, and we're pretty pleased with it. Yeah. I mean the, um, as you know, philosophically, politically, I'm, I'm less of a fan of transparency than you are. Um, uh, the way I think about it is, um, I value honesty a great deal. And sometimes when people ask you, can we know X or Y? The answer is no. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so I'm, I'm very opposed to lying, but not telling people things or not showing people things and being, um, uh, but honesty and transparency are not necessarily the same. Right. Right. Um, I can honestly tell you why you can't have access to my bank account. 
Uh, um, and for the record, I too am in favor of honesty. Yeah. No, that, that, as, that. as a guiding principle, I'm in favor of honesty. No, I mean, there's, you know, this is a, we don't need to go off under this, 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 uh, some major digression here, but there's actually a fair amount of research in, um, journalism literature about why people pay for news mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously rebuilding trust is, is one of the main ones, but part of big step in, in creating that trust or establishing that trust or rebuilding trust is trans letting them see sort of how the process works, what you do behind the scenes. So we talk a little bit more about our editorial process, about story selection, about things like that. Sometimes on the podcasts, you know, the dispatch podcast or on the, on a dispatch live, we'll tell people about disagreements that we've had in, you know, in our editorial meetings and explain to people, you know, we've, we thought about doing this, but we decided to do this just to give people a sense of, of what goes into putting out the stuff that, that we put out so they can, they can get it. And I think, I don't know, it seems to me that that's, that that's worked for us. And while it's not, you're right. I mean, it's an, it's an important distinction between being honest and being transparent. And there are definitely times, um, you know, I think I've been on some other podcasts, Brian Morrissey's mm -hmm. podcast, the rebooting. He always tries people to give them, give him like bottom lines. What's, what are your revenues? What's yeah, your yeah. projections? Yeah. We don't share all that, but um, yeah, but I think, I mean, my, my point is, is that I want our audience or subscribers to trust us. And that means being honest with them, even when you have to be honest about the reasons why you're not going to yep. be forthcoming about some yeah. things, you know? Um, so let's, we're actually going to, I, I kind of lied before some of the questions we're going to discuss have, um, they're the punditry adjacent. The great transition. We really have to be honest. Okay, I actually lied just a minute ago. <laughs> well, I, was, I was wrong. I misspoke. Uh, I, I'm the victim of my day drinking. I mean, we can, we can come up with all sorts of explanations. But no, because um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Trump stuff, a little, a little bit about our editorial, whether we're going to have editorials, we're going to endorse, all that kind of stuff. So uh, just to tease that. But since we're doing business stuff right now, let's talk about business stuff. We um, When we launched... Um, we never said, right, in the spirit of transparency and honesty, we never said we would not have advertising of any kind. We said we would never have advertising of a certain kind. Um, basically, what in the industry they call programmatic. Um, we're never going to do the pop-up videos. We're never going to do the, um, the really intrusive stuff that destroys the user experience yeah. and also is, you know, and as we've talked about, I think, all three times we've done this, we both came to the same policy. We came, we both came to agreement about the policy, but from different angles. You worry more, not that I don't worry about it, but you worry more about the corrupting power of advertising that depends on clicks, right? The, yeah. the more eyeballs you get, the more inclined it makes you towards sensational headlines to hot takes and all that kind of stuff. I have more confidence in my coworkers that we would not succumb to such corruption than you do, but that's fine. Um, and you never worked with Media DC and Clarity Media at the I, I, Standard. I, I agree. It, it, there is a, there is a real seduction there. That's yeah. no no getting around that. And um, on the flip side, the thing I cared about more than you, but that you cared about a lot too, was it just ruins the user experience to have totally. stupid sirens popping up at you. You know, click here to read more, and you don't see it at first, so you have to scroll through like fifteen ads of, you know. Uh, side boob or whatever not that there's not a role for side boob in a in a healthy society um but it's just it's a mess um so but we've why don't you explain what we are gonna what we're i shouldn't say that because we haven't fully figured it out yet 
where we're going and how we're thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say at the very beginning, ads and sponsorships were not only part of our plan, but a pretty important part of our plan. Yeah. We used to, to talk about them. Um, I don't know for our internal signaling reasons as tasteful sponsorships. Mm -hmm. Um, I think to, to make clear to each other, to ourselves that we were not going to just like take the next cheap little ad thing with this. These would be relationships and we'd be pretty picky about it. Um, when we first had our conversations with Substack about, um, you know, this handshake agreement where Substack, the newsletter publishing company asked us to sort of be their guinea pig as they built out um, their platform for media companies. And the exchange was we would, they would build this sort of spec website and, and operation for us. As part of that agreement, they said, we don't want advertising on our platform. Will you be willing to forego advertising for some period of time? Um, just to see if you can build on reader revenue. And their pitch to us was, we think you guys are going to kill it in reader revenue. We think you guys will do a lot better on memberships than you think you're going to do. Um, so we said yes, and they were right. So we said, okay, well, let's hold off on doing any ads and sponsorships for the time being. Because as of right now, we could build based on this unexpected surge in revenue. We can pay people to right. work here. We can we grew a little faster than we had anticipated because of that um, that revenue. So that that was great. It, it was always the case that we wanted to incorporate some revenue. We did it in podcasts reasonably early, and we always understood that we were going to do it in in um, the newsletters, maybe on the website as well, with the the very strong caveat that we weren't going to do the kinds of things that would ruin a user experience. So we're in, we're in the middle of figuring out exactly what that or means. Or to right be fair, now. or that are wholly dependent on a model that says for every additional eyeball you get, you get 0.1 cents more, right? I mean, it's not, yeah. that's not, the way we look at it is we have a quality audience that people should want to reach because of its quality, not necessarily because of its quantity. Right, right. No, I think that's right. So we're, we're in the process of figuring out what exactly that, that looks like and talking to some people who might be able to build that out for us and, and figure out how to be smart about it. And, you know, th there's going to be a balance. I mean, we've already had conversations sort of at the front end of this process where, you know, people can present to you a range of options, um, you know, running from building deep relationships with you know, big long-term sponsors, um, to have them back what we do and have us, uh, promote their, their products, everything down to sort of, you can flip a switch and immediately generate a ton of revenue. Right. If you take this easy path, um, you know, consistent with what we've been saying all along, we're not going to take that easy path. We're not going to do those things. And we've left, we, I think, Conservatively speaking, we've left millions of dollars on the table. For sure. Certainly over four years, many millions of dollars out of a desire to do things what we think is the right way with integrity. Sure. I mean, if the board is listening, I would say probably thousands of dollars. <laughs> but, but for anybody else, yeah, probably millions of dollars. We did it on purpose. We know, we, we, we're, let's just say we're well aware of revenue opportunities that we're not taking advantage of right now. Yes. And, and we, you know, we need to, we, we have real ambitions um, in terms of growing this thing and doing more and hiring more people and doing more journalism. Uh, so so we want to do that. To give listeners a little sense of this, isn't all just sort of, aren't we awesome abstract stuff. Um, 
you follow the stuff more closely. We've had many, many, many conversations about this stuff. Um, but just directionally, you know, what are the ad rates that not, not direct peer is a weird thing given our model, yeah. but you know, uh, people that a reasonable person looking at Washington journalism would consider sort of peer companies. Like what are the ad rates at places like, you know, Axios, which is obviously orders of magnitude larger than us or puck or fishbowl or any of those kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, they, they vary and they, most of these places have what's called a rate card mm -hmm. and it's literally what they, if you inquire to place ads, they send you this rate card and they're sort of, it's like the, it would be like the list price mm -hmm. on a, on a car and you can bargain down from there. But you know, the, the, the really powerful newsletters, the, the, the very popular ones, the ones with huge readerships can fetch six figures for a weekly sponsorship um, in a newsletter. And, you know, there aren't many of those, but there are some and, mm -hmm. and they do very well. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't know exactly where we fit in on that. And a lot will depend on some of the details that we would work out with our advertisers or sponsors. Um, but you know, we, we think we can, we think we can make enough money to help us do the kinds of things that we yeah. want to do in journalism. I mean, so there's this weird, just again, in the interest of honesty with listeners, um, there's this weird, it's not a dilemma, but it's this tension that we have insofar as a lot of the sort of small, somewhat comparable media companies, um, they are pitching solely to an inside the beltway audience, right? There are people who, um, there are products where like, there are only 2000 people that care about reading it, right? It's like certain lobbyists who have make purchases, they're members of Congress, you know, it's, it's sort of the influencer inside the beltway audience that these people care about. And there's Ag, a, a newsletter that covers ag regulation, right. for instance, right. 500 people subscribe, but they can charge $8,000 because right. you can't do your job. Right. Unless, unless you, you read, read this thing. thing. Right. Yeah. And we talked for a long time when we were planning this about whether we wanted to get in the business of super specialized products that would be sort of on a different, you know, you know, subscription path and these other things. And it's, it's an interesting concept, but we've kind of walked away from it. But the weird tension we have is that we are mostly, we mostly write for smart, busy people outside the beltway right. who want to understand what's going on in Washington. And I would like to, as you know, I would like to expand our beats to other things. So we yeah. do, but that's sort of our core model right yes. now. TMD, dispatch politics, the collision, all of even, even Scott Linscombe stuff is all along those lines. And Heavy on ex explanatory journalism. Right. And the, but the, the weird irony is, is that we have got really great following people inside the beltway. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's kind of like the, you know, Ir the Irving Crystal rule, which was like, if when he was a publisher of the public interest, he used to say, if we have more than 7,000 subscribers, we're doing something wrong. We don't follow that. No, we wouldn't at all. But, um, it's one of these weird tensions in the sort of advertising model of the advertisers who we would be most attractive to want to reach the kinds of people who subscribe to, I don't know, political pro, or right, that kind exactly. of thing. Right. 
but we don't write anything aimed at the audience that Political Pro has. We are it for the audience, people outside the Beltway. We just happen to have a really good readership among the kinds of people who read Political Pro. Yes. And I don't know how we, we haven't quite figured out how to square that circle. I've probably had more conversations around this specific thing that you're getting at over the past two months than just about anything else yeah. um, having to do with the company. Look, I mean, I think we can, it, it depends who you talk to. Um, as you say, we have a very, very strong and loyal following inside the Beltway. Um, I think people are reading us less for the, you know, I need to know what the markup on HR 2818 is um, because it will affect the way that I'm doing business and more to get a general sense of, of what the heck is going on in Washington. This place is crazy. And I think we've, provide a lot of value in helping people so both outside the beltway, but also inside the beltway, um, make sense of, of that stuff in a crazy time. And I've heard, I've gotten that feedback. Um, I won't say the name because I don't have permission to say the name at this point, but you know, very well-known journalist, everybody knows the name who said, you know, the reason that, that the morning dispatch is the first place that I go to get my news the second I wake up is because, you guys take the time to explain within this in the sentence. You're not using acronyms. You tell me what the acronyms mean. Mm -hmm. You have the extra clause that says, this is what this particular government agency does. And, you know, this was like sort of the ultimate insider saying this. And you know then that there are people who, who cover Washington and start the conversation at the midpoint and assume that everybody knows that everybody's as much of a hill rat or a, you know, a DC jargon, um, fluent person as they are, you just lose a lot of people. Yeah. So, so we, we err heavily on the side of, of not doing that, but yeah, we have a lot of, we have a, a very strong following in Washington. Um, so figuring out a way to talk to advertisers about that is, um, is part of the challenge. Um, and, just as a side note, I know someone who worked for a once famous senator who had to, whenever there was a relevant hearing, had to give them a little index card that said, um, uh, Medicaid poor, Medicare old, so he could keep them straight. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, there is this problem for a lot of people who should know better. Um, all right. Uh, uh, some rapid fire things off the top of my head. Um, Michael Renault, our fantastic uh, deputy exec, what is it? Managing editor. Managing yeah. editor. Um, he did an AMA recently, and someone asked how many people work for the dispatch, and he didn't know, and he just said not enough. Um, <laughs> so people ask me all the time how many people work for the dispatch. Um, how many people work for the dispatch? Uh, approaching thirty. We, 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 we've had, uh, we've had somewhere between 25 and 30 for about the past nine months. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, people want to know, um, what is our actual, when I say people, I mean me, uh, what is our actual editorial policy? Um, um, are we going to do I think I know the answer to this part of it, so I'll just ask it blank. But uh, are we going to do endorsements? Uh, no, no, I don't right. want to do endorsements. I don't want to do endorsements. I just had to ask it. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be a declarative statement for me. Right. 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 So, um, 
but my basic answer when people ask me about editorials is um, we do them when we feel like we have to. Right. That, that's about it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've done three yeah. in four years. Um, I think there's a pretty good argument to do it, to do one now um, in light of what's happened in Israel. Yeah. Um, sort of level of seriousness and things that probably ought to be said. But no, we, we, we try to do them sparingly. So what is your, so you, you are, um, I'm the editor in chief, which means I take all the, the lavish junkets and um, all, <laughs> all the glory and, uh, and you're just in the boiler room, sweating, working <laughs> with the editorial team. Um, so uh, what is your, what is, how would you explain to people the challenges we have going into the 2024 coverage? Um, it's really interesting question. We spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, you know, already we're seeing that the 2024 election isn't going to be like any election before we, we complain about how often people misuse unprecedented and call things unprecedented that have lots of precedent. But I think in so many ways, this is unprecedented. So one of the challenges is, uh, how do you cover a race a Republican primary in particular, um, that doesn't seem to follow any of the conventions of previous campaign coverage. And I I don't think I've talked about this here before. Um, I I went with um, two colleagues to cover the debate in Milwaukee. And Milwaukee's my hometown, nice time there. Um, Showed up at the debate and everything felt like every other debate that I've covered going back. I think my first one was 2000 Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, so it was the same, the environment was the same. It's sort of electric and people are excited and young people scurrying around, everybody thinking that whatever they're doing at the moment is super, super important and they've got to get to the, most of it's not really important at all, but there's that sense of urgency about it and, and, and that this, like what's happening here will really matter. And there's all sorts of anticipation and build up and, um, you have the spin rooms and the, the filing rooms. There's hundred journalists sitting in one room watching the debate in the same place. Cause we're not allowed in the actual theater. And then the debate happens. And then, you know, sometimes there'll be audible reactions in the, in the media room with what's happening or you'll go to the, the, the spin room afterwards and ask a bunch of questions that seem important. And in the past, all I have been with everybody like everybody else there, I too have felt that this was really important, that the things that were happening really mattered. And that if I could only get the right quote from the right person in the spin room about, and maybe I'm just old, maybe I've grown cynical. I don't think of myself as too terribly cynical. Um, but it all felt like we were going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't feel serious at all. Um, you know, in this case, Donald Trump was up 50 points right. on the people who were gathered there in Milwaukee. So it felt a little silly to say like, Oh, Nikki Haley had a great comeback to Vivek Ramaswamy. It's like, eh, I don't know. That's not going to change the race. Right. Where are we here? Um, in that same context, you've got all of these legal proceedings against Donald Trump. Some of which the New York one, the Alvin Bragg one are sort of preposterous on their face. Others of which I think are very serious and look, we haven't heard from the defense yet, but look like pretty slam dunk cases and it makes it likely that you're going to have a, a, you know, Donald Trump, if he's the Republican nominee could well be a convicted felon. Mm -hmm. Um, that's new and different. So how do you, um, provide people with coverage 
in this kind of, an, and, and this is all not to say anything about Joe Biden, who's old, acts old, looks old. It's obvious to everybody. And Democrats want to tell us it doesn't matter, but everybody who is paying attention and watches him on the news thinks it really might matter. Mm -hmm. How do you cover all of that um, in a way that doesn't, where you don't sort of fall into the same patterns of political coverage? Like what Donald Trump is, is saying, what he said, we're recording this on Thursday. He gave a speech last night in which he talked about how smart Hespola was. He lashed out at Benjamin Netanyahu because Netanyahu didn't, uh, wouldn't say that Donald Trump had actually won the 2020 president. I mean, it's like crazy, crazy stuff. He's called for suspending the constitution, all the stuff that is totally insane. And, you know, we face these questions about whether we should cover it. How mm -hmm. should we cover it? Do we cover a speech like the one that Donald Trump gave as hard news? I mean, He's the Republican front runner. The stuff he's saying is often crazy. We should cover that, it seems to me. On the other hand, if you look at what happened in 2016, people covered his every utterance and gave him more attention than he probably deserved. And if we were to cover every crazy thing that Donald Trump said, he blocks out the sun. Yeah. There's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of other things to talk about. At the same time, I mean, falling into the usual patterns of political coverage would be wrong because these are unusual times. But also, just learning the lessons from 2016, I think, would be wrong. Right. Because in 2016, he got all of this crazy coverage because it was such a crazy idea that he was running for president, and then it was a crazy idea that he was doing well running for president, right, and all that kind of stuff. We are not in a situation where he has been president. Right. You know? And so yeah. I think covering and maybe again. So I think covering. You, you don't fix the problems of 2016 by doing what you should have done in 2016 in 2024, because it's just a different situation. Yes. So in 2016, shame on a lot of media people for giving them the kind of coverage they got. And a lot of it, if I can just jump in. A lot of it was done for bottom line reasons, for sure. right? I mean, Les Moonves has this famous, right. former head of CBS, has this famous comment that he made back then where he said, what's, you know, bad for the country is good for CBS. Right. Or maybe that's reversed. But yeah, they were making a ton of money on ad dollars because they were, you know, remember they, they had, every network had these like countdowns to Trump's speeches right. where they showed it like an empty podium. Yeah. Yeah. And they made a ton of money on it. So yeah, no, the dynamics are very different, but it is. Also, I mean, we're not, we're not CBS news, right? So we're like we don't, we don't move the culture in ways that TV networks do. We shouldn't think of ourselves as having the same responsibilities or role because we don't. Correct. Know. But, but so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this question to you. So Trump is still up. 40, 50 points on the Republican field. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the nominee. I think there are things that could cause him to not be the nominee, maybe the legal problems. Um, I certainly understand why people think that's crazy, why people think, of course, he's going to be the nominee. You're in denial. Given that kind of a lead, you know, we've got a, we've got a fantastic team of people who have long experience covering politics. They do, they cover, they've covered conventional politics as well as conventional politics can be covered. Is it worth their time to spend a lot of time on the campaign trail covering the other Republican 
candidates who are out there in New Hampshire, in Iowa, to a lesser extent in, in South Carolina, the way that they covered them 15 years ago. I'm not sure that it is because those things seem to matter a lot more in this world where Donald Trump is so dominant. On the other hand, if you don't go cover that, I mean, some of those candidates are making interesting arguments. They're saying things that are worthy of coverage. Um, You don't want to not cover it because you make an assumption about Donald Trump. Similar question. Do we send people, how often should we be sending people to Trump rallies? Like one of the problems in th- at the beginning of the 2016 cycle, at least, was that you, you had a lot of people who were making assumptions about what might motivate Trump voters rather than really understanding Trump voters. Um, we've since had eight years of understanding Trump voters, right? I mean, it's like you can't go to a diner in Western Pennsylvania without running into another journalist who's trying to like, how often should we be sending somebody to, to cover a Trump rally? I mean... These yeah, are I mean, practical I, questions about how, how to do it, how to do it well. I get it. I come, I come at it from a different perspective. Um, I mean, you grew up as a reporter. You went to that fancy pants guild <laughs> thing in, at Columbia. Um, um, I've always been an opinion guy. Whatever reporting I've done, it's been sort of, of the more Matt Labash. Andy Ferguson sort of very voiced kind of thing. Yeah. And, and so I don't, I think it's kind of to, for, so for, to me, sort of on this honesty versus transparency thing, I think that we have a perspective that we, um, we, Let's put it this way. This is not the editorial position of the dispatch, but you and I both think that Donald Trump should not be president again, that he's unfit, that he should have been impeached and removed. Certainly the second time you can, they're intellectually defensible. In the first time. Yeah. For, they, for and, me. Yeah. Me, for me too. But they're intellectually defensible positions contrary on the first one. Yeah. Right. Um, um, to me, it's a slam dunk case closed. No argument on the second one. And, um, and while I think our, coverage our, our 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 reporting side coverage needs to be meticulously honest and 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 ethical and all of that stuff um we're also the ones who get to assign what stories to cover right and i think that view within reason there's nothing inherently wrong about that informing our editorial decision-making about where to send reporters, right? Yes. The Wall Street Journal has a reporter who's in Russia right now in prison, Evan Gershowitz, right? So he, the Wall Street Journal has a reporter, Evan Gershowitz, in prison right now. They are biased towards keeping that story front of mind for a lot of people. Right. They are honest about it. Yeah. <laughs> and they do a lot of good reporting on it, right? I only bring that up not to say that they're comparable situations, save to say that I think there's nothing wrong with being honest with our listeners and our readers about what our priors are. And so covering certain things um, that we don't think the, need another bunch of reporters from a small, you know, uh, you know upstart pirate skiff media company um, that just lend to the crescendo of Trump's inevitability. Yes. It's not what our, I think most of our readers want. 
it's not what, the kind of stuff that we want to do. Yeah. And so I think covering the Republican primaries with honesty about how bad, how bleak it looks for the other candidates, but from a perspective of it would be better for the country if one of these candidates caught fire and displaced Donald Trump is a perfectly serviceable editorial philosophy about assigning stories, um, even though you would expect the people writing the stories to do it in a in, in an honest and above board way. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense to me. And I don't I don't think I mean, look, we 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 write about Trump a fair amount. Um, not me, <laughs> but but not. I mean, I don't know how often how how many of your Let's just say, let's just Wednesday, Friday, G files. Mm -hmm. How many of Wednesday, Friday, G files would you say as a percentage are primarily about Trump? Oh, I don't know. I mean, over the last year, um, someone's going to count them up and prove me wrong about this, but it feels to me, right? Cause I don't know. Right. It feels to me like it's around 35%. That's what I would have guessed. Yeah. Like 30, something like yeah. that. Three and 10. So that's a lot. Yeah. But that is not, I mean, you know, there are a lot of places that basically right. do very little other than Trump in the context of politics. I think we try to, we try to give people a flavor of what is happening and to tell them, you know, to give them our best understanding of why these things are happening. We had, the, I mean, we had this, we, we had this last night. I mean, um, I don't think I'll be throwing anybody under the bus if I share this. I saw the the clip of Trump's rant on Hezbollah mm -hmm. and, on, and on Netanyahu. And I thought well, that should be in the morning dispatch today. We don't do a lot of that in, yeah. in the morning dispatch. And when we do it, we have a section in morning dispatch called presented without comment, where we literally will like link to something and not comment about it. Right. But put it in front of people is the idea. Usually they're sort of funny, cheeky. Um, you have a section at the top called Quick Hits, which is basically sort of news of the day. So if people want to just get in and get out, they can come there. They can see the five to ten things we find most important, worth paying a moment of attention to. And the question was whether we should take that Trump moment and write it up as a quick hit, mm -hmm. which we very rarely do, cover a Trump speech or some mm -hmm. crazy thing that he's said. Or if we should just drop it in, present it without comment, let people get to it when they get to it. And we decided that we were going to do it as a quick hit because it has news value. Yep. It's That's hard news. And what he's saying in that context, I think, really matters. And it is important to let people know what's going on. Now, surely they would get it elsewhere if they weren't getting it from us. But, you know, this is just our little way of signaling, yeah, we think this is important. All right. Um, um we don't have a lot of time left and we should get back to some other dispatchy kind of things. Where to begin? Um, I keep telling people that I don't, I, I hate sounding like Trump, that everything's going to come in two weeks from a healthcare plan to infrastructure week or whatever, you know, but I keep saying that, you know, there's more exciting stuff or more, more perks to being a dispatch member coming down the road. Can you make me less of a liar on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, this now, this now we're going to venture into the, into the areas where th this stuff is truly half baked and we're, um, we're still thinking through what a lot of this, this will look like. And so, we love feedback from listeners. Yeah. Anyone who's still left listening, feel free to feel free to, to shoot us notes. Yeah. What surprised me about these podcasts over the years is actually 
a lot of people listen to them and a lot of people listen to the end, yeah. which we did not anticipate the first time we did this. Yeah. And I'm surprised every time. So, uh, yeah, we're going to expand that in a couple different, a couple different ways. Um, one of the, when we did our investor deck, um, which neither you nor I could actually do because we didn't know how to do a PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Um, we had three sort of fundamental core pillars of the company was newsletters, podcasts, and community. And I think we've done well in newsletters, done well in podcasts with some exceptions. Um, the community piece was something that we really felt strongly about at the outset. And for a variety of reasons, some of them understandable, some of them, frankly, probably my mistakes, honestly, uh, we just haven't done as well as, as we should have. Um, Substack's community function was pretty basic. It was like comment threads. And we were hoping for something more robust, a place where people could go and hang out. Um, you know, we, we were certainly not the only people who believed this, but at launch in 2019, it was pretty clear the direction that social media was headed yeah. and that it wasn't going to get better. And, you know, one of our thoughts was let's create a place where people, sane, rational people can come and have real conversations with one another and learn things from one another. Um, you know, n- not in a sort of kumbaya kind of way, but, but kind of mm-hmm. right. Where you can like have strong exchange with people you didn't agree with and maybe learn something. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it fits our editorial approach perfectly. I mean, we have so many people who tell us on the right and the left, you know, Island of sanity. Yeah. Uh, this is a, a place where I feel like uh, I haven't lost my marble, all this kind of stuff. Right. And like leaning into that to give people more of an opportunity to feel that way in with a sense of community with other people who feel that way just seems like a real ad, easy, uh, not easy. We've learned it's not easy. Yeah. Real obvious added value. Totally. It's just been hard. It has been hard. The, 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 one of the cool things about this and here I will be Pollyannish, like to watch the community sort of grow up around all of this in spite of us. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't provide much. You know, you can go to the morning dispatch and there'll be 500, 600 comments, almost all of them rational and sane and friendly to one another. There'll be almost skirmishes, but you know, occasionally somebody will get a little out of line, but not often. It's, it's unlike comment sections sort of anywhere else. What can we do to take that and, you know, provide more infrastructure to give people places to hang out if they want to hang out? There's a lot I think we can do. We are, we think it's important. We want to move quickly on it. Um, we have asked Michael Renault, you just mentioned earlier, um, because we think it's so important to, to sort of take the lead on conducting some experiments. We'll probably be mentioning in some upcoming morning dispatches, uh, if, if dispatch members in particular want to help us experiment with some of this, we're going to look at different sort of ways to build that community and different, um, different areas to facilitate those kind of conversations. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it'll provide people more opportunities, not only to interact with one another um, in our community. We go to these in-person events and everybody's like, it's this moment where people meet each other and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know there were so many people who thought like I do um, about this sort of current political moment um, and beyond, but also more places for them to interact with us, with people who are working here and doing the reporting and writing the writing the, the newsletter. So I'm very excited about that. Um, sort of want to move as, as quickly as we can without screwing it up or without being, um, having to, you know, have a bunch of, of false starts. So that's, 
that's number one. Then the other thing that we're talking about and thinking about um, is doing what a lot of other media companies have done. We haven't done it um, to this point, and that's creating sort of another tier of memberships. Um, we've been we launched at uh, ten bucks a month, hundred bucks a year, and then we had founders uh, lifetime memberships for fifteen hundred bucks. Um, it's been great. We've kept the prices the same uh, in spite of pretty significant inflation. Um, and increased burn rate with increased payroll. costs, increased yeah. everything. Um, we've had kids want to eat. We've had, <laughs> we've had, we've had members tell us that they would like to find ways to yeah. support us more. Um, lots of members uh, have said that, you know, obviously the easy way to do it right now is to go buy some of our merch. But, but the other way to do it would be to create a, a new sort of membership tier um, that would, you know, provide people more opportunities to interact, do conference calls, do direct AMAs yeah. with, with the writers and things like that. So we're, we're pretty actively looking at, at some of those possibilities that would give us more time to spend with the members and give us an opportunity to, to generate more revenue to help us keep growing the thing. Yeah, so just a couple of things I would add to sort of elephant behind, uh, broom behind the elephant kind of points. Um, one, you know, on the events stuff, we had a huge component for events when we were planning yeah. this. Our friend and co-founder Toby Stock was a sort of a, was a sort of an events guru. Um, I knew him as through AI, but he left on friendly terms for totally normal, sane reasons, um, in part because we basically launched right into the headwind of COVID. And right. so events were impossible. I used to remember, I used to joke about how um, we were in basically the same position as a lot of peer organizations like the NBA when it came to events. <laughs> right, right. And, um, um, and so then, you know, we grew without doing a lot of events and we didn't build up any muscle mass for events. And so now we're trying to do it now, catch up now. I think on the business side, you know, um, one of the things we got to figure out how to get right is right now we're doing a lot of these dispatch meetups basically as marketing tools and as slightly as sort of, um, you know, added value for people for, you know, if you're a subscriber, we, you know, it's, it's good for like, you know, you know, member loyalty and that kind of stuff. Right. But when we start to, for growing the business purposes, um, figuring out how to price sponsorships for events where we can bring in other speakers and do all sorts of other things, at a scale where it actually becomes a source of revenue, not just that positive marketing thing or, yeah. or you know, subscriber loyalty thing is I think an important part of the model. So, I mean, if there are people out there who want to sponsor a big dispatch event and write a check for it, we're being honest here. Um, you know, you should get in touch with us, you know, send me an email or send Ryan Brown um, email or even Hayes if you need to. Um, the other point about just, you know, in our own defense about the community stuff is people don't realize um, when we left Substack, which we both agreed, still think was the right decision. Yeah, great. Um, um, I mean, Substack was great. It was also the right decision right. for us to leave. It was the right decision to work with them and yeah. it was the right decision to stop working with them. And But we like those guys. Um, but the migration, the move off of Substack, you know, I always say when people are moving because of the stress, like moving homes, I always say three moves equals one fire in terms yeah. of the stress and damage to your life. Um, it's similar when it comes to website migration. Um, and th the heroic part about Justin Fritz, Fritz, his work on this was that 
there were an enormous number of problems and difficulties and challenges, but all very, very few of them were user facing. Correct. It was all back at the house. It was like we had a kitchen fire and the customers barely noticed right. any commotion. Right. And that was a huge time suck for a lot of people, particularly Justin. And and the community stuff has a major tech component to it that when you have a grease fire in the kitchen, you don't still talk about it. Hey, you know what we should do is we should have a gnocchi station over there. <laughs> you know, it's like you kind of focus on what you need to focus on. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So I just want to get that stuff out of the way. We should also, Oh, the last thing which is important is we've launched the skiff, which is sort of, um, it's for members only. It's basically what we used to call like a podcast super feed, but we're going to use it sort of as a thing to hopefully the idea is to make it sort of a, we can do all the AMAs there, um, that kind of thing, but also have it be a place where if Steve and I have an argument on the dispatch podcast or something, I can say, you know, we should take this to the skiff and just have an argument about that over there. Right. It's sort of like an audio group blog. Um, and, um, we got high hopes for it and I just wanted to get that in there. Did you mention it was members only? And it's for members only. It's one of those perks for membership. We should, we should make sure we mention that it's members only. That's right. Um, you don't have to wear the eighties jacket, but it's members only. <laughs> um, and then finally, the mo since I brought up, uh, you know, group blog, you um, knew where this was going I, knew uh, from the moment this started where this was the heading. most pressing. And I, I, I love that. Basically, are you going to read the email we got today that you, you had that wonderful, lovely member send us both an email? Yeah. Well, she said, I, I, I should read it, but I, I didn't get permission to, uh, but she basically made the case again for a corner like, uh, you know, the corner, for those of you who don't know, was a group blog over at National Review that I created, you know, a long time ago. And um, uh, I miss it. I miss that kind of blogging. Um, I know for a fact that Nick Katojo, a.k.a. Alapundit, misses it. Kevin Williamson misses it. Um, we feel like it would be a real value add for our readers. Um, and basically, I haven't heard, I would say for every bit of feedback I've gotten on this issue. Maybe 4% disagree with me, but you are a member of that 4%. <laughs> and because we have a management style around here where we both have to turn our key on things um, for launching, you know, major new things, uh, you You're are setting me up to be the impediment. You are the sole and singular problem. Uh, uh, Victoria, is this uh, an obstacle? Does this strike you as fair? I yeah. think I'm, wait, what? <laughs> so, uh, do you, are you still as confident in your wrongness as you have been for the last couple of years? So I still don't like the idea. Um, but I think there are ways that we can make it work. And we've, we've had, we've had conversations along these lines where we can sort of get to a place where I think it could make sense. My main objections, just to restate them succinctly, are one of the, we, we like to think that one of our main differentiators um, is that we don't do hot takes. We don't do crass opinion slinging without sort of tethering our views, our arguments to facts and research mm -hmm. and reality. Um, so and, far you still just sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to me, but go on. <laughs> and having a group blog would be like, um, it would, it would, I think, be quickly become a place where people would go to show off. We would be seeing like linguistic pirouettes. Who can get to the group blog fastest and have the quickest wrong opinion or opinion about something 
upon which facts will change mm-hmm. in an hour or four hours. I mean, I would say I would like to think that if we had a group blog, we wouldn't have had a lot of um, quick takes or hot takes on the stuff that's been in the news over the past five days. But things that we have thought were confirmed turned out not to have been confirmed. Mm-hmm. And things that had been reported later had to be retracted. And I hate the idea of going down the road, particularly on something as you know significant and, and grave as those issues, but also just on silly little political issues where we're constantly running out with opinions, and then we constantly have to run them back and constantly run them back. I also, my other objection is that while... Um, you know, the, the senior, the, the experienced mm-hmm. journalists, the people who've done this before, like you undoubtedly would conduct yourself with all of the grace, mm-hmm. um, and, and good humor and wisdom to which we're all accustomed. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be that way for younger writers. And, you know, I, we want for the most part, our younger people on the editorial side, to be doing the kind of editorial work that we've hired them to do, which Mm -hmm. is primarily reporting, Mm -hmm. go out and find stuff out and share it with people or explain to people something that you've learned. I think we could, this could be an enticement to them to sit around and come up with, you know, Oh, I'm going to get this great one liner to bait Jonah into a big debate Mm -hmm. and it's going to be great. Yeah. So is I'm sorry. Are you, are you done with your wrong reasons? No, I've got eight more. Um, <laughs> let me keep going. No, th- those are my two main yeah, so, correct, correct objections. All right. So the, the, the first one, which is already fading from my memory because it's so banal. Cause you're not a good listener. Uh, Cause you just <laughs> nodded your head and said, mm-hmm, without um, listening. It, it's sort of like some of your positions about advertising in the past, which is sort of like, Stop me before I kill again. I cannot be trusted with this power. Do not give me the 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 you know the one ring to rule them all because it will corrupt me kind of thing. I kind of feel like we could have a we could have a, a editorial guide guide you know rules for the thing you know um, if something's unconfirmed you have to say it's unconfirmed blah 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 you know that kind of stuff. Um, we also have this thing that some of us have access to, which is called judgment. But put that all aside. Um, I'm this, exercising my good judgment yeah, so right now. The, the, the second, <laughs> the, the, the second um, concern, I think, is entirely valid. But um, I think it's easily solved in a couple different ways. One is the reporter guy, the people who aren't opinion people, can't post in the, in the group blog. Or at least they can't without a really good reason that they have to clear with you, me, or Declan, or whoever, right? Um, another way to think of it is just sort of like, it's, it's an opinion blog. So it's only for opinion people. Reporters can't write for it, right? Reporters generally at the New York times aren't allowed to write opinion pieces on the op-ed page because it's not their job, right? There's a firewall there. And, um, or, you know, if you want to just be crass about it, uh, we could just sort of taking our lessons from Diane Feinstein and, and Joe Biden have an age requirement (laughs) (laughs) and just if you're under the age of 40 you can't write for it and um or we could just have it like being that's probably illegal an officer's no we're a private institution we could do whatever the hell we want we could just basically say no one of irish descent can write for it if we (laughs) wanted to but anyway i think these things are solvable i leave it to the wisdom of our listeners to 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 give us their opinions about this but i just there's an ongoing conversation let, let me we we can we can offer one 
possible way through. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before, because I think there is actually a potential solution here. If we were to, to make said group discussion, I don't think I can bring myself to call it a blog. Fair. I, I don't think group, we have to call it a group blog. Group discussion yeah. forum. Room. Whatever. Yeah. Um, for members only and, and restrict it to, um, you know, this, if, if we're successful in building some of the community infrastructure that we want to, where, you know, p- part of our, part, part of the way that we've done things from the beginning deliberately is we have, um, moved away from, we have, we've deliberately stayed away from the constant posting and updating yeah, and the yeah. constant, we, you know, we post our standalone pieces at three, four five in the morning and that's it yep. for the day. We'll send out the stuff we send to people's inboxes. We'll send out throughout the day, but we don't, we really don't want people to feel like they have to come back to the website 50 times to see what new is there because there's not going to be new stuff there. And we're not trying to monetize those clicks. Part of what you have in so many other places is they will post little storylets, you know, three paragraph non-story fake stories so that there's something new so that they can update their thing. It's also, you know, the email version of this is the 15 breaking news emails you get from someone because they can advertise and they can monetize those eyeballs. I don't want us to create that incentive. Um, I also think it's not, it's not necessary for a company of our size. Having said that, if you could create a place in this community that we're building where we could have these bigger discussions and occasionally maybe let members join the discussions or ask questions or find ways to facilitate that kind of a conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think that could have a, that could have a pretty good, a good place here. See the funny irony of all this is that like, um, in almost every other regard, I'm more of like the Yuval Levin empower institutions. Like, like don't let individual players use institutions as platforms. You have to mold people's character and you're Mr. Transparency, which I despise and all that kind of stuff. Yet on this, you are like so much more small C conservative institutionalist yes. than I am um, about molding people's character to the needs of the institution. So it's, 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 it's intriguing. Um, all right, we got to go. We got a, got a dispatch happy hour thing transpiring out there. Um, uh, Declan just high on diet Cokes has got a lampshade on his head already. Um, and, um, I'm sure I forgot stuff to ask. So one of the things this is again for the, for the 12 listeners who are stuck through to the very end, if you have a bunch of questions that you wish we had addressed, on this dispatch update thing, um, send them my way. Um, send them or drop them in the comments. I mean, we could yeah, drop them in the comments there in the comments and, and answer. And maybe questions. we'll do a skiff follow up sure. kind of thing where we just do rapid fire and go through them. Yeah, that's good. All right, with that, thanks everybody for listening, and um, I'll see you next time. No, you won't. It's a podcast.